Welcome to the International Brotherhood of Freemasons podcast, a Masonic podcast that brings you education pieces from a wide array of authors throughout the English, Spanish, and French-speaking regions of the world. International Brotherhood of Freemasons, in no way, reflects the views of any Masonic Lodge or Grand Lodge and is the sole opinion of the person expressing it. And now, your host, Brother Paul Haynes. In today's episode, we're going to learn about a very colorful figure. His name was Emir Abdelkader, and he was a Algerian freedom fighter. He was uh, Islamic, and he was a Freemason. I'm going to read an excerpt from the Encyclopedia Britannica, because once I read this information, it made the paper that I'm about to read that much more insightful and interesting. And one thing that really stood out to me about him was when he was uh, defending Algeria, he was defending Algeria against the invasion of, of France. And uh, at that time, Napoleon's nephew was the emperor in France, and Abdelkader raised an army, and against all odds, he, he fought against the French. And the interesting thing was that this paper comes from the Orient of France, and they have nothing but good things to say about Abdelkader. And it's about how they had honored him and presented him as uh, with a very special jewel. And in spite of the fact that he had been on the other side of a war that France fought with Algeria. Okay, so my first source comes from the Encyclopedia Britannica. I found this at uh, Britannica.com. It was written by Marcel Emirat on September 27, 2018. In two years, Abdul had organized a true state, the capital of which was sometimes Mascara and sometimes the fortress of Tiaret now called Tagdimt. He established juridical equality among population groups by suppressing the privileges of the warlike tribes, the Maxin, and by imposing equal taxes on all his subjects. By the winter of 1838, his authority extended across the borders of Kabylie and in the south from the oasis of Biskrat to the Moroccan border. To destroy the power of all Tijini, he besieged his capital, Ain Mahdi, for six months and demolished it, while all the Saharan tribes paid him homage. Abdelkader was an absolute leader who only rarely called in the grandees to advise him. Algerian religious sentiment was his support, the one force that could bring his subjects together and unify them in the face of the invader. But that did not prevent him from employing competent persons of all nationalities, whether Jews or Christians, to help him build a modern state. In July 1846, with only a handful of men left, Abdelkader again took refuge in Morocco, the sultan of which by then considered him to be a burden. Deprived of his last area support, Abdelkader returned to Algeria and in 1847, with great dignity, turned himself over to General Christophe de la Mauricière and to Bougot's successor, King Louis-Philippe's son, 
the Duc d'Aumal, who promised him transport to the east. Luis Philippe, however, failed to respect his son's promise. Abdelkader was held prisoner in France, first at the Chateau de Pau, where he learned the principles of Freemasonry and later at Amboise. When he died, he was respected by all. French efforts to make him the symbol of Algerian support for colonial rule were erroneous. Abdelkader believed he was carrying out God's will and admitting that his political role had ended. Present-day Algerians consider him to be the greatest hero of their people. This second piece was comprised of extracts from a symposium that was delivered on May 14, 2011. And I got this from the Grand Orient de France. And the author is Bruno Antian. And it is entitled Aldel Kader. The international reputation of Amir Abdelkader is at its peak. In addition to the Grand Cordon of the Legion of Honor, he was awarded the Grand Cross of the Russian Eagle, that of Prussia, Greece, and the Cross of Sardinia. Pope Pius X and Turkish Sultan Abdul Majid will also award him with prestigious decorations. It was in this context that the Parisian Lodge Henri IV on November 16, 1860, recognized the emir with a Masonic jewel. This tribute is accompanied by a letter of admiration praising his magnanimity, his tolerance, and his extraordinary humanity. During the same time that the emir's great sympathy was witnessed, he was invited to become a Freemason. She expressed herself in these terms, Illustrious emir, we members of the Masonic Lodge, Henri IV, in the east of Paris, we come to offer our tribute of admiration to one who rose above the prejudices of caste and religion, listening only to his heart to oppose a rampart to fury of barbarism and fanaticism. Our principle is the existence of God and the immortality of the soul, practicing tolerance and universal brotherhood, we thought it wise to send you this symbolic jewel, which has value only by its emblems, square, level, compass. Whenever you see it, you'll say that in the West there are hearts that beat in unison with yours, brothers who already love you as one of their own, and who would be proud to count you among the members of their institution. Speaking highly of the love, tolerance, and courage of the Amir, the Lodge Henri IV lives in him as a symbol of the fight against ignorance, against barbarism, and against the fanaticism of the East. It is also a hope to introduce Masonic thought into Eastern Islam. In February of 1861, the Amir responded, asking to be formally admitted into the fraternity. According to several sources, the Amir had written the following letter. I wish to make known my very real desire to join your fraternity of love, as I share your views and agree with your excellent rules, and it is for this reason I am inclined to express to you my fervent desire 
to be associated with you, as you have made me aware of the conditions and obligations imposed on me, I will observe them faithfully. Coming from the 1864 archives of Henri IV Lodge. This text confirming the emir's desire to adhere to Freemasonry is quoted by Bruno Antion in the book Abdekader from Editor Hatchet, 1994, on page 347, where he guarantees its authenticity. This fact is nevertheless controversial for Algerian authors like Hamza, Benaiza, or Meftah Abdelbaki. At this time, the Grand Orient affirms its admirations of the idea of the great architect of the universe and proclaims, God whom we all love, there is only God who is God. Emil Abdelkader can only accept this wording. Thus the Emir believed he was bridging the flag of tolerance with that of Islam. The theist position is strongly supported in the Masonic thought of that time. The affirmation of God and that of the immortality of the soul rest on the love of humanity and fraternity. It advocates benevolence, morality, and the practice of virtue, a humanism that finds God in humanity. Finally, his search for truth is built on law and justice. These humanist values brought to Freemasonry great avant-garde Muslim thinkers such as al Kawakibi, Al-Afghani, Muhammad Abdul, and later Mustafa Kamal. In 1866, the Sultan Abdul Majid strengthens the Tanzimat. In Algeria at the time, Javier Yacono says that Islam is a most tolerant religion and it can embrace Masonic principles without restriction. A kind of Eastern Freemasonry has even been considered. It is true that certain societies of Algeria have professed a great tolerance by promoting a fruitful interreligious dialogue that will inspire many French Orientalists like Massignon, Louis Gardet. This has sometimes come about after the religious conversions of people such as Vincent Montel or Mansour who upon being admitted to the Islamic sect of Sufism in Cairo, changed his name to Sheikh Abdelwahid. After a warm epistolary exchange with the Henri Four Lodge, it is the French Lodge of Alexandria, the Pyramids of Egypt, which will be responsible for initiating the Emir Abdelkader. To do this, he must answer a series of questions asked by the Lodge Andre the Fourth. What are the duties of man to God? What are the duties of man to his fellow men? What are his duties towards his soul? Are all men equal before God? How do you understand the realization of tolerance and fraternity? In these questions, the reference to God is everywhere obvious. According to the report of the Grand Orient, the answers of the Emir are admirable. It follows a presentation of the Emir on the perfect man in every way inspired by the Akbarian mysticism. This perfect man is represented by the prophets. For him, his answers reveal such a humanism 
and a spirituality so high that he was welcomed from the outset as master of the Pyramid Lodge in the name of Henri IV Lodge. His conceptions attest to an ongoing inner quest for the divine mystery. He supports the very doctrine of Ibn Arabi, Men Arafa Nefsahu Arafa Benahu, which is the Arabic for whoever knows himself, knows his Lord. For him, humanity, religions, and the whole of creation enter the oneness of the living. The resulting tolerance manifests the fraternity of men, all sons of the primordial Adam, vicar of God in the Quran, and bound to God by an eternal covenant. The religion of love is typically Akbarian. These recounted facts come from the period documents found by Bruno Antion, Chodkwewitz, and R. Quawam. Other offers, however, provide corrections, even formal challenges. The fact remains that Emir was recognized as an active member of the Henri IV Lodge and Pyramids Lodge, which originally conferred upon him the first three degrees. In 1865, in Paris, the Lodge Henri IV received him in solemn attire and in the greatest pomp. April the 20th, the degrees awarded to Alexandria are confirmed by a diploma. Moreover, he is received by Napoleon III, to whom he defends the cause of a Sufi arrested in the Caucasus. Deep down, the emir has always been moved by the idea that masonry would establish a link between Christians and Muslims, a bridge between Islam and the West, along with a desire for the theological appeasement among brothers, brothers motivated by so many common values, and who forget that the same divine light is in everyone's heart. As a sincere monotheist, he could consider that his Masonic commitment was in keeping with his strict Muslim thought. As long as the Grand Orient maintains its reverence to God, the great architect of the universe, and immortality of the soul, the emir's adherence to Freemasonry will remain intact. The diversity of beliefs is itself the reflection of the plurality and attributes of God. The unicity of God is not disputed in Islam or Emil Avakadir. His Quranic reference is Quran verse 48. To each of you we prescribe a law and a method. Had Allah willed, he would have made you one nation, united in religion. But he intended to test you and what he has given you. So race to all that is good. Allah is your return altogether and he will then inform you concerning that over which you used to differ. He had the scruples to say, Assalamu alaikum to Christians. Yet he feels the need to express his mystical fidelity to his commitments, his pronounced oaths pertaining to France. Did he not invoke God, imploring him to grant his baraka to France, the land of initiation? The same idea is found in Vene Guénon, cited by Jean Robin in the Vene Guénon chapters. Why France? 
the mystical France, Eduardo Guitridaniel on page 17, and the traditionalists who give France a mystical mission among the traditional order of the nations. In 1877, Freemasonry abandoned the reference to the great architect of the universe due to the impetus from a pastor from Nimes. This will be one of the causes of the loosening of the ties that the emir maintained with Freemasonry. Some sources allege that this distancing would be much earlier and maintain that his strict monotheism could not accommodate positive thinking. Nowadays in Algeria, some authors like Meftah Abdulwaki, Benesa, and others question the emir's adherence to Freemasonry, declaring it incompatible with its strict and exemplary Islamic spirituality. However, relying on the context of the time, others admit that the emir was able to share the Masonic ideal of France at the time without denying his Muslim faith. Basically, it would have been for him a kind of initiatory path, or tariqa, open to a universalist and borderless approach. His sense of progress, of renaissance, of ecumenical Islamic thought, and a lot of loyalty to France were enough for him. This loyalty to France and the Masonic ideals will make him refuse the Kaiser's offer to betray France and return for the offer to lead Algeria after the defeat of Napoleon at Sedan in 1870. This mystical fidelity of the Emir Abdelkader to France brought him closer to French Freemasonry. The relationship that has existed between Freemasonry and this admirable man is a striking example of the friendship that can be forged between spirits bound by the same values. This is a great lesson, and we had to remember it today. He died in Damascus on May 25, 1883. The great Sheikh of Al-Azhar, Alish, directed this religious service. Burial took place in a mosque where the great mystic Ibn Arabi is buried. His Epistle to France, 1855, contains many positions. Praise of knowledge, awakening and the search for truth, praise of science and scholars, myth of the inner mirror, praise of the experience in the nature of the environment that should harmonize the life of human societies. The dignity of the man raises the one above the animality. There is true knowledge only in God because God is truth. God is omniscient, omnipotent. The opposition lights. Darkness is referred to Mani, Zarathustra, Araman, Mazdak. Man must protect himself in the mystical way so necessary to the West. There were a couple things in this piece that I didn't understand the first time I read them, and I looked up some information on them. I want to expound on that now. First is the line that says, Did he not invoke God, imploring him to grant his baraka to France, the land of initiation? And I looked this up, and according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, baraka 
is a blessing that is regarded in various Eastern religions as an indwelling spiritual force and divine gift in hearing in saints, charismatic leaders, and natural objects. Okay, so that's uh, in the brief de- definition is it's a, a blessing, but it's kind of goes more than that as a, a powerful spiritual force. And uh, it goes to underline his devotion and his regard, high regard to France. Also, another thing uh, that was mentioned a couple times was Ibn Arabi. And I'd never heard of Ibn Arabi. He was a man. He was, a, according to the Ibn Arabi Society, his full name was Muyyiddin Ibn Arabi. He lived between 1165 and 1240 AD. He was a mystic, philosopher, poet, sage, and he is one of the world's great spiritual teachers. He wrote over 350 works, including the the most famous one, Fusus al-Hikam, an exposition of the inner meaning of the wisdom of prophets in the Judaic-Christian-Islamic line. And it says that he lived in southern Spain at the time, which was under Islamic rule. He was Islamic, and he really expounded and wrote deeply on uh, the Quran, on Islam. A lot of his themes had to do with uh, acceptance of other people, of other religions, of compassion, of tolerance, and of mercy. And finally says, firmly rooted in the Quran, his work is universal, accepting that each person has a unique path to the truth, which unites all paths in itself. He has profoundly influenced the development of Islam since that time, as well as significant aspects of the philosophy and literature of the West. So these are some ideas that are definitely Masonic, the understanding that not everyone has to believe exactly the way you do, and we all have our path to follow, and that uh, Mutual respect is a very important theme in Freemasonry. Another thing that uh, jumped out at me in this piece was the fact that when Abdul Qadir became a Freemason, this was during the period when uh, believing in a higher power or the great architect of the universe was uh, a landmark, something that you had to agree to to become a Freemason. Since then, Uh, The Grand Orient of France has taken away that uh, requirement and no longer requires a belief in a higher power, which uh, in this piece says that would have loosened the the bond between Islamic world and Freemasonry. And they also mentioned that Abdel Qadir's desire was to to see a, a tie between Freemasonry and Islam, between Christian Christianity and Islam, the East and the West. And it's interesting to, to note that now uh, many believe that that gap is even wider between Masonic thought and, and France, which is different than in the United States and, and England. In preparing this episode, I learned so much 
there's such a wide gap between the East and the West, between the Islamic world and the Western world. And uh, I think it was very beneficial to me personally, and I hope it was to you as well, to learn about how compatible Freemasonry and Islam really is when it comes down to our basic values. Thanks so much for joining me. And I want to especially thank Daniel Haynes for the intro, Ryan K. Haynes for his music. You can find more information about Ryan K. Haynes at ReverbNation.com. Also, I'd like to thank all my brothers at my home lodge of Dayton 103 in Dayton, Indiana, for all their continued support. If you have any comments or would you like to communicate with us, please email us at podcastibf at gmail.com. Please also be sure to visit ibfpodcast.com to see information about our upcoming episodes and to see how you may contribute to help us continue to spread Masonic light. Be sure to listen to us next month, wherever you heard this podcast episode. And remember how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Thank you.